0: All right, if you would take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is one of Paul's letters. Paul was one of the letter writers of the New Testament. And so, as you get past the beginning books in the New Testament, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I know your Bible may automatically fall open to Matthew because that's where we've been for several months. But we're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians. And so, we're going to look at chapter 1 this morning as we ask this question Who is God? If you have access to the Bible on your phone, feel free to bring that out. Sometimes I say that at the beginning of of a sermon, and people have asked me, you know, I would like to have access to the Bible on my phone. What's the best way to do that? The first thing would be that if you have a little flip phone, you may not have access to the Bible on your phone, okay? I hate to break it to you, but... Uh, Part of this has to do with how recently you purchased your phone, and so we're not calling anybody out, not judging anybody, just saying that it depends on what type of phone you have. Uh, The second thing would be there are several apps that you can download, either from the Android or or Apple sources, probably Google Play as well. You can access several kinds. One app that's very helpful to have for the Bible is called YouVersion, Y-O-U, version, it's also what has now become just known as the Bible app. And this app is produced by a church in Oklahoma. Uh, actually, Amanda and I lived very near the church that developed and produced this app. The good thing about this particular Bible app is that you can access many different translations through it. It doesn't, it doesn't have one translation, it has dozens of translations. Plus, you can share with your friends what you're reading. So, you can set up reading plans with friends or family members to keep track of it. And you can sign up for different reading plans. If you say, I've never really read about Jesus, I just want to read about the Gospels, you can sign up for one of those reading plans, and every day it will connect you to what you need to be reading that day. So, that's called the, the YouVersion Bible app. It's free. If you have a smartphone, you need to have something like that on your, on your phone. The other thing I like about the UVersion Bible app, and I've used this a lot this past week, is that you can listen. It has the Bible in audio on this app. And so as I was doing some work around the house this weekend, just listening to the Bible, accessing God's word. Because you may say, you know what, reading is just not my thing. I just don't like to read. I got through school without reading almost anything. It's just not really what I do well. Listen to God's word. The earliest believers didn't read. The Bible was written into a world in which very few people were able to read. The way they received God's word was through listening to it. And so if you have a commute to work or if you, have, you like to work around the yard, whatever it is, find a way that you can listen to the Bible. Uh, you'll, you'll find yourself catching things that you wouldn't have, wouldn't have caught otherwise. And so i 'm not plugging not on staff with that church to plug their app on the on the phone, but just to say, if you have a smartphone, you need to have a copy of god 's Word on there that that you can access Ephesians chapter one we 're going to start reading in verse three. Would you stand with me in honor of reading god 's Word? This is one of the most glorious, powerful. Mighty passages that, that you'll find. In some ways, in the original text, it was just one long sentence, the longest run on sentence you'd probably ever find. But it starts in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for your word. If we could grasp Even one-tenth of 1% of what is stated in that passage of how great you are, of how you have worked in this world and in our lives and why it matters, God, it would revolutionize everything that we do. And so, Father, may you speak to us this morning, Not, not in my words, but, God, so that we would know your word and know clearly who you are and that we would return worship and praise to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've said before that one of the things that I really like about our church family is how diverse we are. Now we recognize that that's not necessarily ethnic diversity, but we have incredible diversity in our church in terms of generational diversity from those who are very young to those who are not quite as young but are still young at heart. We have this huge range of ages in our church we have very diverse socioeconomic uh, population in our church we have those who have very much in terms of worldly possessions and those who do not have as much and one of the things that's incredible about that is that is a picture of what the early church was like there were those who didn't have as much and those that were had very much and they came together and said we're going to worship the same God because we know that everything we have comes from him We are very, very diverse educationally. We have people in our church that didn't make it past 8th grade in terms of schooling. And we have people in our church who have doctorate degrees and, and have had many, many different degrees. 98 degrees for all we know. But all of these different types of educational realms, we have all this diversity in our church. But there is one thing that is true of every single person here. One thing that's true. Every single person here is a theologian. Now, you may not think of yourself as a theologian, but every single person here has beliefs about God. Theology is just this combination of two words, theos, God, and logos, word. It's a God word. It's expressing who God is, what God does, what he's like, why it matters. Everybody is a theologian. So this week, if you're in a conversation with someone, and they ask you what you do, or they ask you about your occupation, or they ask you, you know, just tell me a little about yourself, I would dare you to lead with the line, I'm a theologian, and just kind of see what you get out of it, you know, it, it could make for a good conversation, it could end the conversation right there, you never know, but it is true of every person here and every person you would ever meet that everyone who exists is a theologian. And you might say, but I don't really believe in God. I don't even know if God exists. You're still a theologian because you could tell me about that God that you don't think exists or you're not sure if he exists. We want this to be a safe place. First Baptist Church gathered together on Sunday morning should be a safe place for people to come whether they believe in God or not. They're curious about God. They want to know more about who Jesus is. They want to know why we gather together as a church. This should be a place for all of us to come together. And one thing that could be true about every one of us is that we have thoughts and ideas about who God is. And our goal over the next few weeks is that we would come to a greater understanding of who God is. Based on his word, the way that he has revealed himself and shown himself to us, that we would have a better understanding of that. But hear me out on this next phrase, because this is the key. Not in order to be smarter. If our goal over the next few weeks is that we would become a smarter church, that we would have more information, that you could answer more questions, then we would have failed miserably. Because there is a distinct difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You can know a lot about God and never truly encounter him. You can have all of the right ideas in your head and your heart be cold toward him. How do I know that? Because I've been there. I know what it's like to have ideas about God in my head and for my heart to be cold toward him. For many of you, you may have grown up in church and so you heard Bible stories in Sunday school. If someone asked you if you believed in God, you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I believe in God but there was a time in your life that you went away from God and you're trying to find your way back to God, who is this God? Who is it that we are searching after? Who is it that we want to know more about? Who is it that we say we believe in and we base our lives on? The result of this should not be that we're prideful. It should not be that we're smarter. It should be that it drives us to worship, and it drives us to humility. Now, I had a little timing problem this week with the bulletin, and so my notes didn't make it on the back of the bulletin, but hopefully if you got a bulletin as you came in this morning, there's a separate sheet of paper in there that includes some notes, or you could probably, uh, if, if you didn't get access to that this morning, if you'll email me or call me, I'll send you a copy of that, so you can you can have those just for your own information and your own reading, there's some passages to look at. But there's a couple of quotes in there. Uh, I believe at the top, if it if it printed off the way I wanted to, a guy named Jonathan Martin says, "Good theology will never make us smug, condescending, superior, or over against other people, but will produce a deeper empathy." And I also like this prayer from a man named Peter Marshall. This could be put on your office wall. It could be put on your wall at the house. Lord, when we are wrong, make us willing to change. And when we are right, make us easy to live with. Now that's a motto right there. When we are wrong, make us willing to change. If I have wrong ideas about God, I need to come to a place of humility where I say, I want to know him. I want to worship him. I want to come before him. And if we have right ideas about God, then Lord, make us easy to live with because you've known religious people who had a lot of right ideas about God but who were impossible to be around, impossible to live with because they thought they were right, they knew they were right, and they were going to make sure everybody else knew that they were right. If you were right about God, you should be known as a loving person, not a rude person. (laughs) It should drive us to care for others. It should drive us to be the most humble people on earth, not the most prideful people on earth. And so as we know doctrine, as we know about God, don't find it prideful. And the other side of this is don't find it boring. It's easy to hear the word doctrine, the word belief, the word theology, and think, you know what, I'm just not the smartest person. That's for other people. This is not really for me Doctrine is not boring. Doctrine is life-shaping. Doctrine is generation-forming. Doctrine is the foundation. It's those beliefs about God that form the foundation of our lives and the foundation of our church. Because hear me out on this next part. Without doctrine, without beliefs about God, what church falls into is it falls into an entertainment business. Because if we don't know the God that we've come to worship then the only reason we came here this morning was to be entertained, was to say, I just need to feel better about myself. But that's not the reason we've come. The reason we've come is to respond to God's greatness, to respond to who he is and to say, I need him in my life. I need him to change my life. And so doctrine is not boring. Doctrine is life-giving. It shapes our church. It shapes our families. It shapes generations And so one of the things that we're fighting from the very beginning is this idea that when we say, I believe in God, God just kind of represents whoever we want him to be. And this is where we have to be careful. Because if we're not careful, we'll say something like, you know what, at least that person has faith. At least they believe in something. But wouldn't you like to know what you believe in? Wouldn't you want to know, if you say, I believe in God, wouldn't we want to know who is this God that we believe in? Because there are really two options. There are really two options. Either God is creator, he exists independent of us, and he shows himself to us, or, and listen to this next option, or God is a creation of us, he is a myth or an idea or a legend, or something that we have created to help us exist as people or help us exist as as a society. If you wanna find out if you're a good theologian or not, I'll give you a very quick test case. Talk to someone under the age of seven, and you'll find out very quickly whether or not you're a good theologian. Because no one asks more difficult questions about God than kids do. If you wanna find out if you're a good theologian, volunteer, to help in the kids area on Sunday morning and they will bring you to your knees in a hurry because they will ask questions that you just have no idea how to respond to. And so then in moments like that, parents say, I know what I'll do. I'll call the pastor. Well, guess what? The pastor has little kids too and his kids bring him to his knees. I, they ask questions that we just don't know how to respond to. But one question that almost every little kid will ask is kids will ask, who created God? They'll ask, who created God? And they are getting at the foundation for understanding God. Because in that moment, you tell them, no one created God. Now that's never going to be good enough for a kid, because kids are masters at comeback questions. So they're going to have a comeback question there. But what you're doing is you're getting at this foundation of either God is the creator and he makes himself known to us independent of us and we want to know him and so you tell your kids God has always existed but the amazing thing is is that he has made himself known to us so we can know him or the flip side is that we create God and we make God out to be whoever we want him to be and we would say no, no I don't think that's the direction we want to come at this we want to come at it as God is creator and he shows himself to us but the question is How does God show himself to us? He shows himself to us primarily through scripture. Through his word that he has given to show himself. The other way that he shows himself to us is through the world. So word and world through his word that he's given to us in scripture, and through the world and the people and nature that he has created around us. Those are the ways that God reveals himself to us. And so over the next few weeks, we want to explore what does it mean to worship this God. And there's a word that we're going to start with this week, and the word is trinity. Trinity. Now, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard the word trinity. Trinity. One of the early church fathers said about the Trinity that if you tra- try to explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. If you don't believe in the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. So it's one of the two. Either you lose your mind trying to understand it, or you lose your soul because you don't believe in it. And so it becomes that, that foundational idea. What do we mean when we talk about God as Trinity? Trinity is a combination of two words. "Try," which is a little prefix, prefix meaning three. And unity, which means one or, or a whole, so it's one three three one. It's this idea of a, of a combination between the two, meaning that g- there is one God. Okay, that's foundational. There is one God. God has one nature, one essence, but God exists equally and eternally as three persons. Now, don't check out on me just yet. Okay. If you have a copy of the note sheet that was in your bulletin, turn it over on the back. There's one lesson about the Trinity that we want to keep in mind, and it's that almost every illustration of the Trinity will break down at some point. So people have explained God as an apple that has different parts, or they explain God as an egg that has different parts, or as the sun, there's one sun, but the sun gives off light and heat and and energy, and so you explain God in those ways. Every illustration is going to break down at some point. But this is an illustration from a man named Justin Taylor, and I found it very helpful. And it's an illustration that you can draw out for your kids, or you could draw out for your coworker on a napkin at lunch at work. It's something that's it's very basic. You'll notice there's a triangle there, and God is at the center. One God. That we believe in one God in in his nature and in his essence and then there's father Son Holy Spirit built as a triangle around there and then notice those key words is and is not so God is father God is son God is Holy Spirit one God existing equally and eternally in three persons Father Son and Holy Spirit but notice the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Each person, as a part of God, is distinct. And you say, well, it's time to go home now. I'm just totally checked out. But, but we're going we're gonna to push into this further because this is extremely foundational for who we are as a Christians. And I want to say up front, and, and we want to be incredibly respectful at this point. The doctrine of the Trinity... One God existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the doctrine that most fundamentally sets apart Christianity from other beliefs and other religions. Islam, Judaism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, none of those groups will accept the Trinity as we are going to present God this morning as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equally and eternally existing as fully divine. So this is not something that you can just throw away because this is a fundamental distinction of what we believe about Scripture and who we believe God is. And so don't hear me speaking badly of Muslims or Jews or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. But what we are saying very clearly is this is who we believe God is. And we want to make sure we understand that so when we have conversations with family members and when we have conversations with coworkers and we have conversations with people who come to our front door, we can speak to them in a respectful but also an informed way. And not speak to them just from the head but speak to them from the heart about who God is and why he matters in our lives. And so I want to deal with three questions this morning, three objections that someone would have if you walked up to someone and say, I believe that God is Trinity, that there's one God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they say, no, that's wrong. Here are the three objections. The first one is, isn't that a contradiction? In other words, how can something be one and three At the same time, doesn't that seem like a contradiction? And and that's a good point because we are not calling you to be illogical. Having faith does not mean checking your brain at the door. When you come into church, when you gather as Christians, when you exist as a believer in God, having faith in God doesn't mean that you check your brain at the door. It doesn't mean that we accept something that's illogical. And here is how belief in God is Trinity is not a contradiction because one God, he's one in his nature, in his essence, but he's three in persons. If we said that there was one person and three persons, then God would have a multiple personality disorder or he would be schizophrenic. That would be a problem. There would be an issue at that point. But we're not saying that. We're saying that God is one in his nature and he is three in person. And so one thing that we can be sure of from the beginning is that it is not a contradiction to say that you believe in the Trinity. You can be certain of that. You can be foundational of that. But what we want to know is do we find in Scripture that there is one God And do we find in Scripture that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God? That's what we have to find out. And so that leads us to the second objection on your notes. The second objection, wasn't the Trinity made up after the New Testament? If you talk to someone who comes from a Mormon background, a Jehovah's Witness background, a Muslim background, most likely... They're going to present that the doctrine of the Trinity, that God as one God existing in three persons, is a corruption of the Bible. Something that was made up by these early church councils, these people that were meeting in the 300 years after the time of Christ. It was something that's not in the New Testament that people made up at a later time. And we need to be able to deal with that objection because it's one of the most common that you'll hear about not believing in God as Trinity, The response to that. And and one other thing that people will say. They'll say you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. And at that point, you just say, yeah, that's right. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. You're not going to find that particular term. But the question is, do you find in Scripture the doctrine represented by the Trinity that's the question. We're not, we're not saying, is this particular word found in the Bible? We're saying, when you look at Scripture, is what we are claiming to be true actually there? Is it foundational to who we are? What happened when these groups will say that the Trinity was made up by later councils or later gatherings of the church? In some way, hear me out clearly, in some sense they're correct, because these later church councils began to formulate the idea of the Trinity. The reason they did is because people were beginning to teach things that didn't match up with God's word. And so they had to formulate these doctrines to say this is what scripture believes. But there's a difference between something being made up and something being expressed that was already there. That's the distinction. On your notes, I've listed a number of passages. I started in Matthew they go to first john we're not going to look at every one of those passages this morning we're going to look at most of them over the next 5 or 6 weeks but what i would encourage you to do is go look at these passages this week and what you want to ask yourself is do these passages show father son and holy spirit to be fully god and do these passages teach that there is one god And if we can show that that is true in Scripture, then it forms the foundation for what we're talking about this morning. So take that note sheet. If you don't have a place to begin reading God's Word this week, but you want to practice with your smartphone and that new Bible app that you're going to download this week, then you can go and practice searching for it. If you can't operate that smartphone, that you have and spent all that money for. And you don't know how to work the Bible app, just find someone under the age of seven and they'll take care of you. They'll be able to do it for you, you know, and they'll get you set up and they'll help you find these verses. And then you can read these verses with that little kid who helped you work your smartphone and everybody will be better off. But what we wanna do is we wanna take these verses and say, what do these verses teach us about who God is? And then it leads us to the final question, and the one where we're really going to get into God's word this morning. It's the really foundational question, Owen, why does this matter? Why does this matter? You say that we believe in the Trinity, and my friends and coworkers and family members don't believe in the Trinity. There better be a good reason that we have these different beliefs, because you're putting me in a very awkward position here. We need to know why this matters. Let me give you freedom with something. When you hear a preacher present God's word, or when you read God's word on your own as a family or at home, it is okay to ask the question, so what? That is a fair question to ask. And and frankly, it's probably a question we need to ask more often. If you're a kid or a teenager in here, try not to ask so what to your parents. (laughs) too often and say that the preacher told you it was okay, Uh, but but when you read God's word and you hear God's word preached, it's okay to ask, so what? Why does the Trinity matter? Here's what I want to present to you this morning, that no part of the Christian life is actually possible without the foundation of the Trinity. Believing in one God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at the heart of of every part of the Christian life. Now you can become a Christian without believing or understanding the Trinity. Little kids follow Jesus with all their heart and they don't understand the Trinity. But what is true in their lives is true because of the Trinity. And so we want to lead those kids, we want to lead those new believers into understanding who God is. We're gonna divide it up with three prepositions and three key words that we use as a church. If you don't know what a preposition is, you can go ask somebody who is in an English class or grammar class. But there are three prepositions that help us understand the Trinity it's to, through, and by. These are on your note sheet, but it's to, through, and by. The Trinity, everything happens to the Father, through the Son, By the Holy Spirit. So we worship to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We talk to other people, to God's plan, through the message of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. To, through, and by. That helps us understand the way the Trinity works. And we have three words as our church that says we exist up, in, and by. We proclaim and display Jesus up in worship. In, he changes our lives inside out. And then out, we live outward in our faith. Up, in, out, if I get that correct. Because otherwise, I've already confused everybody. But it's on your notes. That's why you get the note sheet, is to be able to go back and look at these things. Here's what I want us to do. Let's jump into three passages of Scripture that help us to understand this. Ephesians chapter 1. If you still have your Bible open, to Ephesians chapter 1. Or you can open your phone back up. I want us to look at this passage again and see the way that the Trinity, this idea of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, helps us to understand the idea of being a worshiper. Verse three says, praise, praise be. Your your translation might say blessed be or blessed be. It's, it's, It's a word in the New Testament for worship. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see all this Trinity language starting to happen there referring to God, Father, Christ as Son, who has blessed us. Interesting way that the scripture works here, the word for praise and the word for bless there that are both in red on the screen come from the same root word. They're, They're essentially the same word. So God has blessed us, and we return that to him as a blessing. We have been blessed, and so we bless. He has done good things for us, and so we worship Him. But notice how that happens. It says He has blessed us in the heavenly realms, meaning every blessing that we receive from God is not a material thing. Creflo Dollar has made the news lately about this big airplane that he's going to purchase for for his ministry. We don't have an airplane here at First Baptist because we believe that not every good blessing is a material blessing. It says that we are blessed. In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That word spiritual there is interesting because you might imagine it's connected to the same word that we would use for the Holy Spirit. So, what it looks like Paul is doing at the beginning of Ephesians is he is giving us a word for worship, a word for praise. He's connecting that praise to God, and he says that that praise to God happens through the Father, the Son, And the Holy Spirit, to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Then look down at the end of that passage in verse 13. If you skip down to verse 13 there, you're going to start seeing some of these same concepts coming back around at the end here. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Gospel is just a fancy word for good news. So when you believe in Jesus, when you turn to him and you're saved, you are included in Christ. You become a part of the body of Christ. And then it says, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised who? Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And then notice that last phrase there. To the praise of his glory. That word for praise is not the same word for praise at the beginning of the passage. But they're both concepts of worship. And so what we see here in Ephesians 1 is when we talk about this idea of the trinity. Paul is grounding the doctrine of the trinity in worship. And so why does it matter that you believe in the Trinity? Is because knowing God is Trinity makes us into passionate worshipers. And that is the result. That is the goal, is that we would be passionate worshipers. When you hear the word passionate, don't think arms in the air. Don't think the person that sings the loudest. There are many of you that come here on Sunday morning, and you've seen with your arms to your side, you may not visibly look like you're engaged, but your heart is completely here. Your heart is completely engaged. If we're not careful, we'll judge the integrity of someone's worship by how they raise their hands, or how loudly they sing, or what their face looks like. Some of us, our face just looks odd. When we're standing there, you know, we just can't help it. It's just, we don't look automatically joyful and happy. But the word passion is not about exuberance. The word passion goes back to the word for suffering, the word for being broken, the word for being genuine. And when we understand who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the result of that is we will come here not to be entertained but we will come here in awe of who God is. If you come on Sunday morning and you are most concerned about what type of psalms will be sung or you are most concerned about what you will get out of the worship service, we've come for the wrong reason. If we understand God is Trinity, we come not to be entertained, but to give ourselves to him because of who he is. We come for the purpose of being a passionate, passionate worshiper. Turn over your Bible to the book of Titus. These verses will be on the screen as well. If you're looking for Titus, you have to turn over to the right a little bit. You're gonna go through some of Paul's letters. We're gonna look at these next two passages in, in just an overview, quick format. But, but I want you to see again this idea. We're looking over at Titus Chapter 3, and like I said, the verses will be on the screen as well, but if you want to look at your copy of the Bible in front of you, Titus chapter 3, verse 4, and we're looking for these terms for the Trinity again and why that matters. Titus chapter 3, verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, how? By the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us generously, how? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I wasn't making up those prepositions earlier. Scripture matches to God, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit. And then look at the phrase in verse 7. So that, that's exactly the question we want to know, so what? So that, having been justified, made right by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So belief in the Trinity leads to hope in eternal life. And then verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So when we believe in God as Trinity, as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it will lead us to having hope and eternal life, which will change how we live our lives here, and will also lead us to doing good works, like it says there in verse eight. It will change our lives from the inside out. And then finally, let's look at one more passage. Matthew chapter 28. Hopefully your Bible will find Matthew easily since we've been there for for several Sundays. But Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. and, And this passage will be up on the screen as well. But we want to look at the very last verses in Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to start in verse 16. And so when we believe in God as Trinity... It makes us passionate worshipers, transformed disciples, and humble missionaries. We will go out on the basis of the Trinity. Verse 16 in Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All the authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is the so what, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and look what comes next, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." the way that missions works the way that we live our lives wherever you live wherever you work wherever you play is that god has a plan for you and that plan happens through jesus christ and the only way you're able to carry out that plan is by the power of the holy spirit so if you're a worshipper if you're a disciple if you're a missionary and every christian will be each of those the way we do those things is to the father through the Son, by the Spirit. I want to wrap up with, with this illustration of the Trinity. I've told you before, and, and I could prove it to you very quickly, that I am not a good dancer, okay? I have some terrible dancing stories. I've, I've only scratched the surface with you of how bad my, my dancing stories are. I was officiating a wedding last evening, and I saw the father and the bride dancing together, and it broke my heart in so many ways. Number one, that was going to be me in a few years, and that may be sad. And number two, because I would be dancing, and that may be sad to think about as well. But I will dance. I will dance at the ceremony. I promise I will because of love for my daughters. Dancing, throughout the history of the church, dancing has been one of the most powerful illustrations of of the Trinity, that in dancing, you have to work in perfect harmony, moving together, each person playing a different role, but each person dancing the same dance. And so theologians, who you would not think of as being good dancers, actually use dancing as one of the ways to explain God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Each moving in different ways, but each dancing and moving for the same purpose. And when you think about dancing, one of the words that should come to mind, other than awkward, is the word joy. Because people who love to dance receive incredible joy when they do that. Because they're working together with someone else to do the same dance for their own joy. When you think about the word Trinity, I hope the word that comes to your mind is not boring or not irrelevant. But I hope the word that comes to your mind is joy. Because you worship in joy, you live every day for God in joy, and you go out to tell other people about that same God with joy. I'm gonna pray for us here in just a moment. After I pray for us, we're gonna sing another psalm to remind us of the power of the Trinity, during that song, if I can pray for you, if you say, you know what, I want to be a part of a church where they're seeking to know who God is, I would love to talk to you about that. However God is working in your life, we'll have a chance to respond. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna sing that song together one more time. Father, we pray to you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that over the next few weeks, over the next years of our lives, that you would make us into passionate worshipers and transformed disciples and humble missionaries. God, that we would know you and that we would not come to church to be entertained. We would not come because it's just a ritual that we do. God, we would come because we are absolutely overwhelmed with who you are and how you work in this world. God, that we would not become prideful or boastful, but God, that we would humbly bow before you. God, we believe in you, and we worship you, and we thank you for your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.